Let's just pray together as we go, as we prepare our hearts for the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this incredible opportunity to speak your word, to share your words of life and healing, restoration, renewal, even revival. Chris Green decreases in this moment that you would increase. For we did not gather to hear the words of a mere man, but to hear from you, Lord. Our nation is in trouble. And so, Lord, we turn to you. We turn to you. Whoever sits in the White House next cannot deliver this nation. <laughs> That's not where our deliverance lies. Our deliverance is in you alone. And so, Lord God, as your people, we cry out to you. We seek your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a hand this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow. Well, as usual, God's been dealing with me uh, and my wife uh, very strongly about this season and time that we're living in. Um, have you ever seen a circus like what we've beheld over these last few months? Nothing like this and I've ever beheld in all of my life. And, and at the same time, I believe it's it's being done this way as tremendous distraction to keep us from understanding what's really going on in the spirit over this nation. And so I want to just be one of those ones to add, add uh, my voice to those that are telling you, please don't be distracted. Uh, it's not about personalities. This is about purpose. That's what this election is about. It's not about personalities. It's about purpose what God wants to do with this nation. I want to talk with you in these final few moments together today from the subject of prevailing in perilous times. Prevailing in perilous times. And as many of you know that uh, my wife and I are writers, so we love writing down our thoughts and then sharing them with you and uh, just kind of speaking as the Lord gives us something spontaneously in the moment. So I want to share with you what I've written. Um, as far as scripture passages, we'll be looking at Colossians third chapter verses 15 through 16. We'll also be spending time in Matthew 24, starting at the third verse. We'll look at um, Mark. I'm trying to see where I have that in Mark. Did I cut that off? I cut that off on the page. Uh, and we'll also take a look at 2 Timothy 3. So you can see we're going to be in the Word today. And I'll give you time to turn to those scriptures when we get to those points. So here's the thoughts that the Lord gave me. And some of you who follow our uh, midweek connection email newsletter, we have an a, a email list. Um, and my wife and I write and send uh, a weekly, I mean every single week faithfully, we send out uh, a, a letter just to bring words of encouragement, sharing uh, our thoughts on various issues and people that we're working with in the city. And so here is a little piece of something that we wrote a long time ago, and I'm going to combine it with the things that the Lord gave us recently to share about. It says, as the election draws closer, we can feel the tension rising in our entire country. We also sense a lot of anxiety 
among many believers who are still unsure about what to do. As we prepared to write this week's letter, the Holy Spirit reminded us of an email that we released eight years ago in the weeks leading up to the 2008 election. At that time, as it is in this time, Christians were divided and confused about what to do in these perilous times. This is what we wrote to our small congregation in October of 2008. Eight years ago, we wrote this. We're living in such a critical time in the history of mankind that I found myself in deep prayer and thought about what to share with you. The financial markets of the world are collapsing. Crime and violence are soaring. Eight years ago, persecution is increasing against the church around the world. And we're about to transition into new leadership in this country. As I have prayed and asked the Lord how to navigate the days ahead of us, I have heard this one word of instruction. The Lord spoke to me and said, you must learn how to live in the eye of the hurricane. The eye of the hurricane has to be one of the most phenomenal wonders of the world. How is it possible that in the center of this horrible storm where the winds can exceed 150 miles per hour, that the atmosphere in the middle of all of that can be peaceful and calm and sometimes even sunny? As the storm moves along the ocean surface, it's picking up energy, energy and it's growing worse. But the center remains the same. I find it interesting that the only way that a person can stay in the center of the storm, and prophetically, I'm talking about being in the peace and the presence of God, the only way that you can stay in the center of the storm is that you have to keep moving. You can't just stand still. You can't be passive and comfortable. You, have, you can't try to maintain your personal space of comfort. Anybody know about that? You will find yourself, because if you try to stay still, what's going to happen? The storm is moving. You're trying to stay still, and you're going to get caught in the outer perimeter of the storm. The eye of the storm is moving because the storm is moving. So you have to keep moving with the peace of God in the midst of the storm. Wow. Now I want to give you the scripture for that. Colossians third chapter verses 15 through 16 tells us how to keep moving with the peace of God in the midst of the storm. That verse of scripture says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of God or let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So let's talk about letting the peace of God rule. <laughs> this phrase means we must be governed and led by the assurance of God himself. That means he will direct us to go places and to meet people and to do things that we may not want to do. So you must learn the difference between the peace of God 
and the peace of our own hearts and minds. Because sometimes there's no peace in our mind about doing certain things or going certain places. Why? That'll be because of our bad memories or our negative experiences. Many people have to learn, many believers, they must learn the difference between their own personal peace and the peace of God. Since we've been in this current role of ministering in this community, in Harrisburg, I meant, we have seen scores of people who really are led by their own personal peace. What do I mean by this? If they don't feel right about something, they won't do it. Even when God is clearly telling them what to do, if they don't feel comfortable with that, they won't do it. Even after God has clearly proven that it was him and that it's him who's directing their steps, they still allow their past to rule their hearts. Instead of allowing the peace to rule their hearts, they're allowing their past to rule their hearts. They're allowing maybe the previous church experiences to rule their hearts. They allow their personal preferences. Isn't that a strong one? Allowing personal preference to rule their heart. Here's a strange one, but it's very true. Sometimes you can allow your personal expectation to rule your heart. Sometimes you can even allow the way others treated you to rule your heart. So that's why when God tells you to go talk to so-and-so, go here, do that, do this, do that, you're thinking about what happened last time. I recently heard a well-known television minister declare that they don't go places where they are only tolerated, but they only go places where they're celebrated. And I watched on television as the people applauded and shouted and cheered, and I thought, that's very powerful but unscriptural approach to following God. What happened to go where God says go? I don't know of any of God's true prophets and apostles who were living by that standard of I only go where I'm celebrated. Not only were they not celebrated, but they were hated. We don't only go where we feel we're going to personally benefit from the experience. You and I must go wherever God says go. We follow the peace wherever he says go. As the storm is moving, we have to move with the eye of the storm, the peace of God. What if the eye of the storm leads you to people you don't usually hang out with? That's what happened to Peter. What if the eye of the storm leads you to work for your enemies? That's what happened to Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah. What if the eye of the storm leads you to a small group of people like here in the barn or to some other new gathering of believers in the community that's very unfamiliar to your upbringing and background? What if the peace of God leads you away from all that's familiar and comfortable? Even today, as the current storm, specifically this political storm, is moving, 
the peace of God is moving. We're facing major decisions. This time we must be faithful and obedient to move with God in the midst of the storm. Now I said that eight years ago. Before Obama. <laughs> in 2004, Carol and I left all that was familiar, all that was prosperous and comfortable to move to this region. And since we've been here, we've continually, I'm not saying this to boast about us, but this is just how it is when you have the call of God on your life. We've had to continually move with the eye of the storm in order to stay in the rest and the peace of God. And how many of you know, sometimes it can be very difficult to navigate that. <laughs> and notice that I'm saying you're in the middle of the storm, but you're actually in the peace of God in the middle of the storm. Wow. That's where you've been, Sue Ann. <laughs> in the peace of God. In the middle of the storm. And what happens is we start feeling the edge, you know, because when you try to stay still and stay comfortable, storm's moving, eye is moving. Now you feel the bumping in the water. And like, what's going on, God? Well, you're not moving. <laughs> you got to keep moving in order to stay in the peace. But it's uncomfortable to have to keep moving. Wow. God led us out of full-time ministry in our home church in St. Louis and brought us here to Harrisburg to get into the marketplace. God's peace led us from gathering within church facilities, and now we're meeting in home group gatherings and meeting in a women's shelter. God's peace led us onto the Internet and into our current multimedia outreaches we recently discovered that God is directing many church planters in the same strategies around the world because of the storms that are coming forth on this nation, the world, and the church. We have often asked God why we were moving in this direction, but he keeps assuring us that the day is going to come when people are going to be searching for those who are lifting up Jesus and not lifting up personalities. That's right. They're going to look for places like this, guys. They will look for people who are real. As they grow weary of their traditions, as they get weary of their religions, and as they get weary of their politics. So we're just going to keep moving. Do like that. We're going to keep moving <laughs> with the eye of the storm. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to talk, we're talking about prevailing in perilous times. Uh, Matthew 24. Let's turn there. Matthew 24 chapter starting at verse three. This was Jesus answering the question that his disciples had asked him about when the temple was going to be destroyed and when they would begin to see the end of all things, uh, the end times, and Jesus answered their question. And he said, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? 
and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Wow. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes. I'm putting the S on it. (laughs) And haven't we been experiencing it in various places? And then look at this, guys. All these are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, he's saying, and you still haven't seen nothing yet. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated. That's why I was jumped on that statement of I only go where I'm celebrated. That's not what Jesus said was going to (laughs) happen. In fact, if you're going to be one of those, I got to go only where I'm celebrated, then that means you're compromising. That tells me right away that's a preacher that's 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 compromising. Because just preaching the true word of God, it, it will bring persecution. It will bring, you know, there's going to be pushback. <laughs> uh, wow. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Ten. And then. Many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Verse 11, then, he keeps piling it on, isn't he? (laughs) Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, and that's what we're looking at. That's why this election is so important. I mean, if you understand that this election is not just about the presidency, this is about the, the Supreme Court. And since we have a, what is the, the word they use, the progressives are pushing for law changes, the law changes really are lawlessness. This isn't just changing the law, this is taking out law. Um, we're just going to allow iniquity to be the law. The word iniquity means, uh, in its basic definition, it means to be lawless. Um, it, it means to be twisted, bent, distorted. So therefore, a person is lawless. And, and, and that's beyond just a person who breaks the law. That means, as far as I'm concerned, there is no law to break. So if they happen to do the right thing, that's cool. But if, even if I don't do the right thing, well... Who are you to tell me what's right or wrong? That's iniquity. That's lawlessness. And it sounds like America right now. And the Bible and Jesus had already told us in verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound. Look at the response. The love of many will grow cold. Verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Wow. I tell you, ask Jesus a question. 
<laughs> you ask a question. <laughs> now I'll go to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. And I want to start at the very first verse. 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his son in the gospel, Timothy. Over there. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. The word perilous means uh, a time that's going to be hard to take, hard to approach. Perilous means it's going to be troublesome. Perilous means it's going to be dangerous. I think part of what's happening to the body of Christ in America is that we're, bring, we're being brought into the reality that most of the church has been in all along around the world. We have been pretty comfortable for a long time because of the blessing of the Lord upon this nation. But now with its borders down, both naturally and spiritually, now we are beginning to experience what the church has endured all over the world all along. That's why so many of us who have had a chance to travel outside of the country, we've come back and kissed the ground when we got back to America because Here's the, here was my thought the first time I traveled outside of the country and came back. I said, it's, it feels like we're living the fantasy, and that's reality out there. You come into America, and everything's safe and secure, and you can count on, you know, the electricity is going to be on every day unless there's something unusual. There are things that we take for granted as being normal that you leave this country, and all those things aren't normal. They expect, the, many places expect the electricity to cut off at least once a day. They don't take it for granted, you know, uh, having clean water. You know, we get upset when we get a boil water order. You know, our township puts out a, you know, a notice. We got the boil water for the and we all upset. Oh. Uh. <laughs> There's so much that we take for granted, and we take for granted, especially being able to gather like we are doing right, right. now, yes. publicly. That's right. We don't have someone standing at the door or sitting all the way down at the end of the driveway to make sure that no government or officials have noticed that all these cars are sitting out here. We don't have to have guards people on their phones or walkie-talkie to tell us, you know, give, a, give us a warning. They're coming. And a lot of the church around the world, that's how they live. And so I hear this word for us, and I'm not a prophet of doom and gloom, but I want you to understand, regardless as to who takes the White House, this is what I hear in my spirit. The church needs to get ready in America. We need to get ready because in the last days, perilous times, dangerous times will come. A lot of these things, we have spoken them forth and we've said it uh, as a metaphor. 
it's going to be dangerous metaphorically speaking, symbolically speaking. But I want you to understand, Paul, when he wrote this to Timothy, was not speaking in metaphor or symbolism. He was saying, no, this is actually literally how it's going to be in the last days. Dangerous times are coming. Another word for uh, perilous is harsh. Another word for, peri for perilous was fierce, savage. Why am I saying this? Let me, let's continue reading, then you'll see why. Because then he starts to define what he means by perilous times and what it will look like. Verse 2, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Man, do we see that now? Despisers of good. Yes. There used to be a time when people would say, well, you church folks, you go ahead and do your thing. We don't care. You know. But now it's despising it. Right. They're no longer satisfied with just saying, well, you guys go on and live the way you want to live and we'll live the way we want to live. Now it's moved to, no, I don't even want you in my neighborhood. I don't want you in my school. I don't even want you around me. Despisers of good. Traitors, because that's what it leads to. Despisers of good takes you right into traitors. Headstrong. Headstrong is that attitude of, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know that this is bad for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Headstrong. Sounds like America, doesn't it? Haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I looked that up and actually said lovers of pleasure meant addicted to pleasure. Addicted to pleasure rather than addicted to God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. For of this sort, are those who creep into houses and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away with various lusts. Now, I used to look at that scripture for many years and like, how are we creeping into people's houses? How, how, that be, how could that happen in our day and time? It's easy now, internet, technology. <laughs> so now they just creep, they just crept right into our houses and now they can just feed the lust that's there. Wow. In every way imaginable. Always, here's the next one, verse 7. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. With all this technology, with all this information, with all of this learning, at the click of a button, you can find out about anything, anywhere, anytime on the planet with all this learning what still no knowledge of the truth Whew. isn't it amazing how the man of God could write this almost 2,000 years ago and it fits exactly 
the time and the season that we are living in right now. Now, as Janice and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproving, disapproves concerning the faith. Now, I got to tell you about these two guys. These, historically, it's believed that he was referring to the magicians who challenged Moses when Moses came before Pharaoh and said, take, let my people go. And so to prove, you know, because Pharaoh wanted to know, well, who is this God? How do I know he's real? So, of course, Moses threw down the rod and it turned into a serpent. Well, when Pharaoh turned to his magicians and said, you know, come on, show them what we got. Well, these are the guys. And what they did was, of course, mimicked the power of God to try to minimize the word of the Lord. And that's the level of resistance that Paul is referring to. Operating in witchcraft to minimize the word of the Lord because the word of the Lord was let my people go. Well, who is this Lord? Well, I'll just demonstrate to you his power. He demonstrates the power. They mimic it, which then minimizes in the eyes of those who are watching this, who this God is. Oh, we can do that. And as we, if you read the story, several of the things, the plagues that God brought upon Egypt, they duplicated it. They finally got to the point where they couldn't duplicate anymore. But what Paul was talking about, this is the level of resistance that you will observe in the last days where the power of God, the demonstration of the power of God, people will mimic it in order to minimize the true word of God. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? He said there are men of corrupt minds, disapproves concerning the faith, verse nine, but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. So God's going to take care of that, too. (laughs) And the reason why this is so important, because, again, uh, Paul is talking to Timothy and he's talking about a level of influence that's not only coming from the world, but even within the church. Part of one of the things that is so that can be a little bit frustrating as we're looking at various ministries on television, on the Internet, all over the world. But there's a whole lot of witchcraft mixed into that. And so the true word of God gets minimized in the understanding of people because you can have two or three that are right on target with God. It's a true prophet. It's a true apostle. But right coming on the show, right behind them comes the person on who's begging and asking for money. (laughs) And the person on before them never said anything about money. They're just they give testimonies, what God is doing. They share and speak the true word of God. And right behind that, just like it did with Moses, comes somebody who's manipulating and intimidating and asking for money and using witchcraft. Send in this money and I'll send you this. Send in this and I'll send you that. Yeah. Minimizing the true word of God. Some of you in your families right now probably have loved ones who the first thing they'll bring up to you when you're trying to 
talk about God and godly things. What are the first thing they talk about? That person that they saw on TV. <laughs> I want you to know that's an intentional strategy of the enemy. And you see it right here in the word of God. But the word of the Lord says, here's what Paul said, but their folly will be, man be manifest to all. God's going to bring it to a point where we can see the difference. But then Paul makes this statement to Timothy in particular in verse 10. And this is going to be how we're going to prevail. I've talked to you. Really, I've said some really heavy things. Well, now I want to build your faith. Because <laughs> here is how you're going to prevail in perilous times. Paul says to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine or my teaching, my manner of life purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecution, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, or what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. He has this little side note statement. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, by the way. <laughs> But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. I want to put verses 10 and 14 together. Paul says to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions. Verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Part of the reason why your journey has been the way it has is because God has been setting you up to be a Paul for the Timothys of this day. God has positioned you to a place. I'm saying this to you guys. God has placed you in a position where you should be able to say this to someone who's walking through these perilous times. You, you, you should be able to say, you and I should be able to tell them, look, this is how you're going to get through this. You have carefully followed what I've been teaching you. You've been following my manner of life. You've been following me. That's the reason all, for all the years of God trying to get his church into discipling and leading and leading by example. Because when perilous times come, people need to be able to come back to us and we can say to them, here's how you're going to get through this. Remember when, just your story, remember when the granddaughter fell off the ladder and broke her arm? Remember how we responded? We prayed. God gave us a miracle. She cried at first. Look at what happened. You have you guys, you guys probably have thousands of stories, personal walking with God that you have now in part that people have watched and you can remind them. 
you follow my manner of life. God, I believe, wants us to be at that place where we can just say exactly what Paul said. You've carefully followed my doctrine, my teaching, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering. I love the testimonies when I come here. <laughs> Pastor Paul always has these wonderful testimonies, the stories that go back. He'll mention something that happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and say, and today we're looking at the manifestation of things we've been holding on for and believing God for, and now it's happening today, long-suffering. Long-suffering doesn't mean you're just suffering a long time. Here's the definition of long-suffering. It's basically this. However long it takes for me to see the promise of God come to pass, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait on it. I'm not going to waver on it. I'm not going to back up off of it. If it takes five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, I'm going to wait. Why is that important? Because in perilous times when our families and friends and coworkers are panicking, we'll have this understanding. You'll be able to say to them, follow my manner of life. This has been my life. I haven't just talked this. I've walked this. We've lived this. And do it in such a way that you don't have to feel like you're boasting and bragging. Notice that Paul is not boasting as he's writing this to his son. He's not boasting and bragging. He's giving him what he's going to need to get through these perilous times. He said, look, you've been through some things with me. We were there together. Remember what happened in Antioch? when all those folks showed up and we got kicked out? <laughs> Remember when we got to Iconium and those Jews followed me there? Remember when we moved to the next town, Lystra, and they followed us there and he got stoned. Stone left for dead. Paul didn't have enough sense except to get back up from being raised from the dead and go back into the town and start preaching again. <laughs> And so here is it. So when he's saying this to Timothy, he's telling them, you, you've walked with me. You have seen this. This hasn't just been me talking. We've lived this. And so I'm telling you how you're going to get through these perilous times. You follow my manner of life. You know about the perseverance. You know about the struggles. Now, come on, you do it, too. And he says, and continue in the things that you've learned. Because you know from whom you learn them. You know me. This may sound like a bit of a strange message because usually when you're being encouraged to encourage others, um, the emphasis gets placed on telling them to follow the Lord. That's true. Obey God. That's true. Follow Jesus example. That's true. Um, I'll give you this little story so that you know where I'm headed with this little boy. Uh, mom puts him to bed at night, uh, closes the door, and a few minutes goes by. She hears him crying. He goes in, Mommy, come back. And so she goes back in and says, you know, why are you crying? I'm afraid. I don't want to be here by myself. Well, the Lord is with you, honey. The Lord is right here with you. And he says, yeah, but I want the Lord with skin on. <laughs> <laughs> People need the Lord with skin on. 
That's us. I'm not saying we're little gods, no, but they need to see the manifestation of God through us. And so I'm telling you now, continue in the things that you have learned through this man and woman, and now see yourself in that same position to be able to say that to your family and friends and coworkers. Continue in the things that you have learned and assured of because you know that's where it's going to go for many people in these perilous times anyway. When things get dangerous, people fall back on what they know. It's the reason why, you know, they have fire drills and all kinds of, you know, uh, preparation drills in case of an emergency. Because if that gets in you and that becomes your normal reaction, then when an emergency hits, you're just going to kick in with what you already know. Well, in perilous times, everybody does it we immediately fall back on what we really have learned and been assured of. And so that's the reason why when things get hard, when things get tough, many people, they do, they'll fall back on, uh, well, when things get hard for me, I always just, like she mentioned with her husband, I fall back to the drink. For some people, I always just run to a relationship. For other people, like I, I turn to the drugs. Even among believers, there's something that they turn to. I know Pastor Paul teaches us that we're supposed to pray, but, you know, I do something. I know that I know you're supposed to don't just don't just do something. Stand there. That's what, you know, they I'm not supposed to just do something. I'm supposed to stand there. Stand on the word of God. But when things really get panicking. I don't just stand there. I do something. (laughs) Because that's what I know. That's what my grandpapa taught me. That's what my dad taught me. That's what my uncles taught me. That's what my brothers taught me. So I'm going to do what my family always does. Because that's what I'm assured of. And here's Paul said, no, no, come on. Come into the word of God. Get convinced of the word of God. Let the assurance come from the word of God. And the assurance come from even the one who taught you because you know me. That's why I love coming to this church because we know you. (laughs) So it's not only the testimony of the Lord, some oblivious, nebulous statement. It's the testimony of the Lord through this man and woman. So when I say continue in the things that you learned and been assured of because you know the ones who it came through. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and what's the word? The word of their testimony. So Lord, I thank you for over coming testimony in this house yes Lord I dare prophesy to you don't give in any longer there's this influence that I've sensed over this region that when you stand forth in the boldness of the Lord that it can feel like you're being arrogant and boastful but you're not because you know it's not from you you know it's not your strength 
You know it's not your ability, but we need your boldness in this hour. We need the boldness in this hour where you can actually say to someone, I know that this is hard, what we're going through in our nation right now, but we can say like the Apostle Paul, come on, you can follow me as I follow Christ. It always sounds so arrogant when you say that first part because it's just easy to say, come on, let's just follow the Lord. But I'm telling you, we've got to be bold just like the man of God and say, follow me. What are we going to do in this year's election? What are we going to do on November 9th? And it's not the person who I wanted it to be. You'll be able to say, just follow me. Just, just follow me. Why is this going to be important? Because there are millions of believers that believe Hillary should win. There are millions of believers who believe Trump should win. So on November the 9th, we can have a whole lot of division in the body of Christ. And that's why it's going to be so necessary that you stand up in this level of boldness. Whether your candidate wins or not, that we get, we stay on track with, I say this all the time, this is not about who sits in the Oval Office of the White House. This is about who sits in the Oval Office of my house. The church has survived dictators, tyrants. Do you think God is worried? Just think about it, y'all. Do you think God is worried about the outcome of the election? Why do the nations rage imagining a vain thing? Our God laughs from the heavens. Ah! Can't you just picture God? I mean, hilariously laughing. Ah! And he wants his people to not. I said this to a brother, dear friend um, in Virginia. I was called in the checks and see how they were because he lives in that area where the flooding took place and they were fine. And then we started talking about the election. I said, brother, I know who I'm choosing, but I said, but even with my choice, I'm casting my vote, not my confidence. I'm casting my vote, but not my confidence. Because the person, how many of you have been through this? Years and years, not just presidential, but even senators and congressmen and mayors. And you cast your vote and your confidence, and then they didn't do any of the things that they promised. So we don't cast our confidence in man. They'll get my vote, but they're not going to get my confidence. My confidence is in the Lord. Do you know, and for those of us that really don't want, I'll be bold, we really don't want that person <laughs> to win because of the demonic and evil influence that's behind them. Even if they were to win, I want you to understand, God called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. The most evil, wicked emperor of all time. And God says he's my servant. 
Because when he got lifted up in all his pride and arrogance and thought of himself as God, he found himself eating grass. And in this day and time, I'm telling you, I'm believing God for these levels of miracles that no matter who ends up in there, they end up with an encounter with God because the church responds to God. This is my concern. If the church's candidate wins and suddenly we relax because we think, all right, that's it. Doesn't matter. If the one that we want to win wins, I want you to understand the war will be just getting started. It doesn't mean it's over. It means it's just gotten started. And the church must take this posture. Um, When Peter ended up in jail, the church didn't go down petitioning. They didn't form a march and a protest and start marching around the jail. Let Peter go. Let Peter go. That's what the church does today. Because we didn't forgot. That's why I love the fact that it's written there so we can see. Pray, 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 pray. Pray so much, angel comes and tells him, wake up, come on, yeah, go with me. We're out of here. We're out of here. And it wasn't until he was out, he thought he was dreaming. <laughs> Do you understand that they walk through solid walls and matter? Gets to the door where the church is praying. <laughs> What's the girl? Rhoda comes in, opens the door, closes the door. Peter's at the door. <laughs> Let him in. <laughs> That's what we were praying about. I believe God wants to take us back to that. Well, we're not looking, we're looking past governments, authorities powers of this earth and saying God this is your thing what you want to do here in America is coming through the church not through the White House it's coming at the grassroots level and working its way up how many of you believe that today come on bless the Lord hallelujah come on praise him today thank you Lord God thank you Lord I I think let me just pray as we're closing today bless you lord thank you lord how many of you sense the confidence of the lord thank you lord yes lord i'm not telling you don't vote but don't put your confidence there that's right yeah it's in the lord when we say come on lord thy kingdom come come on repeat after me thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, come on. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's what this is about. Let's keep our focus where God is. Do you know that God is still about saving souls? That's what this is about. We're looking at another massive effort of the enemy to take millions of people into hell. That's what this is really about. This isn't political at all. The enemy is trying to set himself up just like he did going all the way back to the Tower of Babel. World uniting as one to come against God. 
And I'm praying, God, do like you did before. Come down yourself. <laughs> That's what I want. Where God shows up. See, when the enemy starts acting like that and people get together and we're just going to defy God. I feel like a little kid who goes, oh, you don't know my daddy. You don't know what you fooling with. That's Sorry, that's my urban thing coming out. <laughs> You don't know what you're fooling with. You think that this is about us. All the TV networks and the comedians and everybody joking about the evangelicals and the conservatives. You think we're your problem. You don't understand our God. You don't understand our God. And yes, he's loving. He's wonderful. He can be a daddy, but also he can be a consuming fire. He's a warrior, <clears throat> He's a warrior too. And so you think you're fighting us? I feel that today. This is the time where the Elijah stands up against the prophets of Baal. And we can't be afraid of the challenge. All right. Since we want to have a God contest. Okay. Now you see why God's trying to build us up. Right. Come on, world. Right. We're not backing up. I'm sorry, I done moved into something here. Don't, we're not backing up. Right. No, this is our God. This has nothing to do with my strength. And the enemy's trying to speak words of condemnation over me and accusation to keep me from looking at who my God is. Wow. Our God is a mighty God, strong God, awesome in power. And God's taking us back to that. But first of all, even in our understanding as his people, because we've been in, we've lived so long in a time of peace in our country. We, we've lost contact with something that our mothers and fathers and grandparents and great grandparents understood. And that was this war side of God. Because they had to actually live through World War One and Two and the Korean War, the Vietnam War. So they understood some things about being vigilant and about being warlike in your mentality, in having this attitude of whatever it takes, however long it takes. We've grown up as children of the baby boomers. I know I'm one of those baby boomer children. And so we, we just kind of had stuff available. But now we've come back into a season of war. And I know there are many prophets that are doing like the world in Jeremiah's time. Oh, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. And the Lord told Jeremiah, no, they're lying. And the proof that they're lying, they're going to be dead. And you'll still be here pre prophesying what I told you to prophesy. Warn my people. Get my people ready. And that's what this is about. Come on, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. <laughs>